Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We published a new post of the Transcript yesterday, and we'll be talking about some of the things we saw last week on earnings calls. This was a particularly exciting week for us because it was our first week for the newsletter on Substack. We moved over and we'll have free content, continued free content, but also now paid content in addition to that. So for $25 a month, subscribers will be able to get extra access to the newsletter. Starting this week, we're going to be blocking out some quotes that we find each week, particularly ones that are investment catalysts, things that you will be actually able to in make investments off of. And so those will be blocked out. Those will only be for paying subscribers, but there'll be a lot of still free content for our readers across the board. And then also we wanted to highlight that we're offering an institutional subscription to the transcript. We've had a lot of interest from institutional subscribers already asking us for custom coverage and special access to the two of us to give some extra insights into what we're seeing on earnings calls. And so for any institutional investors that are out there listening right now, that's explicitly something that we are open to is working with institutional teams for special coverage. So it's an exciting week for us. And hopefully the podcast listeners will also be subscribers. The podcast will be remaining free as well. So plenty of value for even our, our free listeners. And, and we're glad to have all of our, our listeners and readers. So Makaya, you want to make any comments on the move? Pretty exciting move also, but I think it's also good to show that there's a lot of readers who also have moved to there and subscribed today within a few hours of us activating the paid option. So we welcome them and we really appreciate continue to deliver very high quality content and we'll increase our coverage with this uh, new revenue and make sure that uh, the transcript become your go-to guide, at least for uh, quality thoughts from uh, business leaders. So welcome and continue with us on this journey. Yeah, thank you, everybody. So we'll dive into what we saw uh, in the newsletter is continued improvement from the pandemic. People have been vaccinated in large quantities in the United States, and the economy is opening back up. And one of the things you're seeing on a marginal basis is moving from just seeing friends and family to more group gatherings this week. Comments about people going to Yankee games, comments about people going to restaurants, also to group gatherings in Las Vegas, group conferences for businesses, that business picking back up. So you're seeing really, those are some of the frontier returns to normal that you're seeing in the macro section, along with continued inflation, the signs of labor shortages, despite the high headline unemployment rate. And then also the Fed just continuing to say that they're going to be producing stimulus anyways. So not a lot of change in the last week, but still kind of on path and economy continues to get better. Okay, any thoughts? Uh, for me, what st stood out was definitely the demand for gasoline bouncing back. It shows you people are out and they want to buy more gas. Of course, it's the challenge is obviously still the supply chains, which are constrained. I think a lot of items are still out of stock and people are trying to get them. I mean, a lot of things to pick up. And one of the other things, of course, is to what that we picked up was Nautilus asking the question of whether they should diversify their supply chains away from China. So I think companies are also really rethinking like this bottlenecks of supply that we've been having the past couple of months. What can we do to streamline these supply chains and, and, and stop dependency from single sourcing of uh, a lot of products that they have right now. Anything else that pick your attention yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, I think along the lines of the reopening and uh, higher demand for gasoline, those two things obviously go hand in hand. More people are traveling out and about. Again, there's this pent up demand that we're getting to a point where the swing back with people flush with cash it could be even higher than the previous peak, the 2019 peak. And so we did have one comment in there about it being difficult to tell how much of the surge in demand is uh, euphoria versus normal demand. So that's something that's important to think about. And then also in terms of travel, there was a really great discussion from Airbnb on their call this week. Brian Chesky really stood out to me as a CEO. I thought it was he was showing a lot of vision for travel and the way that things could be evolving here. The statistic that stood out to me is that 24% of their nights booked are now for stays 28 nights or longer. So people, he said, you know, people aren't just staying in Airbnbs, now they're living in Airbnbs. And that's really interesting. Any thoughts? You could tie that with a lot of discussions that we saw also on, on some of their calls about what would be the right balance between working from home and working at the office. And that balance is something a lot of companies are trying out. Uh, but definitely, if a lot of more companies are going to allow people to stay away from their office, Airbnb is a strong option to actually go and rent a place, stay there for a month. And as you've also noted, like people are staying not in familiar places like towns. They're actually staying outside in remote places, in all these like nature, close to nature kind of places. Something else that we picked up is that people are going back to malls, which is pretty interesting for companies which are retail. A lot of companies are seeing actually occupancy rates going up, which is pretty interesting also because... I think during the pandemic, most of the talk you had is about malls being dead, but apparently malls are not totally dead. They're coming back up, not to the same extent that they were in before the pandemic, but at least they're coming back up. Any thoughts on that yourself? Yeah, that's been a big surprise to me. That's an open question for me still. Are these businesses that were in secular decline before the pandemic and then got hit extremely hard by the pandemic? And so retailers being one of them, AMC and movie theaters being another one that I'm thinking of. There's no way that the pandemic shifted those secular trends back in their favor. There's just no way. But maybe the trough got so low that you're seeing a little bit of an uptick for people coming back to these malls. But it'll be interesting to see whether there's there's longer term accelerations or you know there's elements of euphoria packed in here too. I think... As we're coming out of the pandemic, this goes back to the work from home and Airbnb stuff. There's still some murkiness about what's the long-term world going to look like. You know, are we going to be able to work from home flexibly or are people going to be asked to come back into offices more frequently? And I think that's this type of stuff that's only really knowable over the next 12 months or 18 months or more. So there is still some murkiness out there and where there's murkiness, there's opportunity for investment returns. So. Yeah, a question that I picked up from one of the earnings I can't remember which exactly was if people like, let's say, don't come to the office at least once or twice a week, that would mean the secondary effects of companies or at least they say restaurants are used to operate around these businesses that will be affected and they may have to close down because of lack of people going to the office at the end of the day. So I think that got me thinking about maybe secondary effects of people working from home which may actually be sticky beyond the pandemic period, like we, as we've noted so far. Moving topics a little bit, Coinbase reported last week, and there were a couple of good quotes that we actually blacked out for free readers this week, but we'll talk about them on the podcast. There was one about Coinbase's uh, unappreciated moat, 
And the CEO was talking about the difficulties of actually integrating with blockchains, that it's not so easy to just set up a, a institutional brokerage that will trade in blockchain. And Coinbase has a lot of invested capital and intellectual property in integrating with these blockchains in order to facilitate trades. And I think that that's really interesting because I think the short case on Coinbase is that increasing competition and people will get into this business. And that may be true, but I think the unseen thing is that Coinbase is really building its institution on top of new rails that the financial system currently does not exist on. So the financial system is its own kind of railroad that exists on legal rails, like the Fed being a central part of the banking system, you know, the bank of banks legally. And these cryptocurrencies exist outside of that whole system. So to the extent that new people are moving on to a new network, those old institutions may have a hard time getting onto it. But could be like Coinbase is the one that sets the pace and then someone else comes and actually builds on those rails, uh, having seen the mistakes that Coinbase has made. <laughs> it's very possible, if not likely. But, you know, the, the history, this goes back to like railroad history. The history is that institutions that get scale on networks tend to maintain that scale over time when they're properly stewarded. So you may have other institutions that are getting to scale in crypto trading. But to the extent that crypto becomes a network that really is widely adopted for more than just investing, Coinbase is in a pole position in order to be one of the top you know, four institutions in crypto trading. Something else that stood out was also the quote about small businesses doing advertising, which was pretty interesting because a lot of the talk we've seen around earnings call in the past year is that a lot of companies are cutting down on advertising. So if they're actually, there's a note, and especially this was American Express that say this. So they, when you see these kind of companies actually noticing that small businesses are actually putting up a little more advertising, that could mean that they're actually, they are, they're, they're betting, like there are customers out there that they want to win back at the end of the day. So I, I thought that's pretty interesting because it could indicate that small businesses may be back in business very soon, some of them, at least they're yeah. surviving. I did think that was interesting because obviously you only spend on advertising if you're feeling like business is good. But the other thing I thought was really interesting about it, which I, I actually cut the quote from Chesky at Airbnb talking about how much less Airbnb is spending on marketing, on paid marketing these days, that Chesky was saying that Airbnb basically built its whole business off of PR, which is earned media rather than paid media. And I thought it was really interesting to see small businesses adopting paid media and then larger businesses like Airbnb saying, we're going to be focusing more on, on PR. And I think that is potentially a commentary on the value of paid media and access to paid media in today's media environment, that actually the scarce real estate, so to speak, is mindshare, earned mindshare for a company like Airbnb. Whereas paid mindshare is a little bit easier to come to. It's more democratically accessible today than it was in the days where you were buying TV spots or radio or, or out of home. That was much harder for a, a small business to buy. It's much easier for a small business to buy Facebook ads or Google ads because they've made it easy for small businesses to buy those impressions. Yet the marginal value of those paid impressions may be falling. So that was something that was as interesting to me. I think something else that stood out to us was in the tech section about ransomware, which is, uh, 
which has become a, a business model of its own lately with an average, I think, uh, payout of around 300,000 USD. I think last week, one of the companies had to pay out around $5 million to, for ransomware. So I think one of the things that I, I noticed a lot of companies also discussed was the issue around security. I think one of the security companies also highlighted that a lot of people are online, but they're not secured. Uh, so, and people are taking this a little bit too casually. And when they get hit, then you pay a lot of money. Yeah, I think cybersecurity is still a market where there's a lot of room for growth for some player. I think it's still a poorly understood market by the consumers who need it. Yeah. Uh, anything else that's too dark for you? No, I think that covered it really well for this week. And just wanted to say thanks again to everybody who are new paying subscribers, especially who are supporting the work. We really appreciate you and we're excited to engage more with our paying subscribers over time. And clearly our commitment is definitely to keep giving you quality work at the end of the day, uh, because you're paying for it. We want to make sure that you get value for money. And I think that's our commitment week in, week out, that we'll be a lead source for you for investment catalyst at the end of the day. So thank you for joining us this week. Always drop us an email at admin at theweeklytranscript.com and give us your thoughts and feedback, how we can make this better and serve you as always uh, here. Thank you from Scott and I. Thank you.